Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. So tonight we're doing Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Really, I really enjoyed it. But as Siobhan says, I say that every week. So I suppose it's a good thing if I do say that every week. That means it's good. All right, I'm going to start with verse 1 to 2. I'll read it, for, I'll read it and then unpack, we'll unpack it together. Please, we would like some participation. There's a few of us here today. So don't be shy. I'm going to read from the message translation as always. Verse 1 to 2. Everybody ready? Watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Man, when I read that opening verses and that last sentence just struck me. It's like you can take the whole gospel and, and boil it down into that one sentence at the end that Jesus didn't love in order to get something from us. It's like so often so many people think, you know, God just wants me to do this or behave like this or, you know, do what he wants me to do. But he came down, came into, became flesh for us to give his everything of himself to us. And then that, that last sentence, love like that. That's a simple but profound instruction. When I was preparing, I mean, I was really inspired when, he, when Eugene Peterson of The Message translates and he says, Watch what God does and then do it like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. He's, Paul is telling us to be all like innocent children, where you see them watch and then simply do as a natural response. And then I was reminded of, of my own son, and Nicole pointed me to the fact when, when Andy gets in an environment... He's a busy boy, you all know him, he's very busy, he runs around. But when he gets in an environment with his mainly kids a little bit older than him or someone that's doing something different or unique, he just freezes and he observes. And he just sits there observing. So I was remembering when I took the family to Friedenheim a couple of weeks ago and there was a petting zoo and inside the petting zoo there was two, I would say, young boys between 9 and 11 and they were playing football in this small little five-a-side goalpost. And they were good friends, so they were taking turns to score against each other, and the jibes were going with, you know, it's like, you're not going to score past me. And the one boy was on his knees, and they were having a good time. And Andy runs, and he loves football, so he runs, and he's holding this ball, and he's just sitting there watching these guys. And then I didn't realize it until when we got home, it's like, he wants to play football. I'm like, okay, cool. And so I set up these little goals, and we were playing. And then I, I didn't realize something until it struck me. When he's getting in the goals... Like, why does he want to be goalkeeper first? He never wants to be goalkeeper. He gets in the goals and he's like, da 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 <laughs> I'm like, what? And then he gets on his knees and I'm like, oh. It was amazing how he was, he so quickly wanted to recreate what he was observing. He wanted to, 
to do what he saw these other boys do. Like so many kids, they want to be like the older kids. They can't run as fast, jump as high, and it's about ladders. He loves ladders. I don't know what it is, but the bigger the ladder is, the better. So I said, Andy, when you're a big boy, he's like, I'm a big, I want to be a big boy to climb a big ladder. <laughs> so, but it's amazing how he's most focused is when he sees that and he wants that. So that's what Paul tells us to have, that childlike innocence of observing. It became revelation to me, you know. Sometimes we just think, you know, Paul's just telling us to do whatever God wants us to do. But it's a, it's a more intimate relationship of father and child and observing as the children observe their father. You know, as the children observe their mother, that's how their roles in the family. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to teach a girl to like a doll or a Barbie. Genuinely, you know, okay, I don't know nowadays, but you don't have to teach. You don't have to teach a boy to be rough and tumble or play sports or, you know, do all these, and he loves his, I don't know where he gets that from, but he loves his power tools. Um, but you see, the innocence of a child is natural to look at their parental figure and identify how their behavior will become. Now, all of those who are parents here will tell you children learn more by watching your behavior than, than you telling them how to behave. I mean, that became very clear for me in parenthood. You can't tell a kid, do as I say, not as I do. That's just going to go in one ear, not the other. They learn by watching you. They see how you behave. They see the language you use. They see how frustrated you get. And like we spoke about earlier in the lessons about mirrors, ch- children are very good mirrors of your personality. So when they throw like, and you're like, where are you getting that? Oh, it's from me. That's how children learn. They observe. And this is what Paul is telling us. So he encourages us to keep company with our father and learn a life of love. Isn't that amazing? He says, mostly what God does is love you. So he says, keep company with him and learn a life of love. So let's take it to that child, father, or parent analogy. He says, just spend time with your father. Simple as that. And then you're going to observe and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us, an extravagant love. So here's a question I'd like to ask and would be good to participate is how do we observe our Father and Christ? How do we observe our Father, God, and how do we observe Jesus? Who would like to answer? I'll take it. Not three questions. I don't think there's one right or wrong. How do we observe our Father? You're jumping at the bit there. (laughs) Come on, guys. Anybody? Pass it around. Come on. How do we observe our Father and how do we observe Jesus? Yeah, that's that's one way. Through his word. Anybody else? Anyone? Everyone's quiet tonight. Okay. So I said, we look to our Father in the Word. And when you study the Word, you begin to identify the character and the nature of God. From the beginning, Genesis, and you, you see, if we say God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then we've got to understand what is He like in the first place. You know, His character, His heart, the fact that He gives His Son. You know, that's the nature of God. You look through, through His Word. And how do we know, how do we spend, how do we know, how do we observe Jesus? Again, through the word. We, we observe and study the time Christ walked the earth. 
it's a historical fact that there was a person called Jesus Christ in those days had a big impact. Do you know that? Not just the Bible is the only ancient text that states this case. So the world is foolish to believe, you know, if, if, they're like, if they want to believe that Jesus exists and he's not the, the Christ or the Messiah, that's one thing, but it's foolish to even disregard his existence on earth because a lot of historical documents cross-reference and prove that fact. And that's up to us to observe to see how he did. How he did life and how he loved. How he loved. So yeah, I, I just really love that. And it's important to understand where Paul is with this children observing their parents. Because for me, personally, when I was studying this, I don't think he departs so much from it as we progress. But Siobhan will unpack, Siobhan will unpack the rest from verse 3. Yeah, I just want to say, um, in the ESV, verse, verse 1, chapter 5, says, therefore, first word, therefore. So everything I've said before, if you get that right, then you're imitating the Father. And so not only do we get the to get to observe what God is like through the word, we get to observe what God is like through each other. When we love one another, when we care for one another, when we actually have the next person's best interest at heart, that is a reflection and imitation of God the Father. When we give ourselves for one another, that's what Jesus did. Right? So that's, that's what it means to be an imitator. I think at times we... we you know what I'm like. We, we get stuck in the idea of the way I figure out what God is like is by spending a lot of time in my prayer closet. No. You do find out what God is like in that place. But most of us find out what God is like based on how we treat one another. Right? Because that's where, that's where I build my trust of the character of God, based on how he's reflected through everyone else. It's not the only way I build my trust. I build my trust formally on the word. This is what the word says he's like. However, the word is always backed up by, do you see what we are doing with one another? So I think it's a foolish thing to say that we can, we can, we, we find out what God is like solely through the word or solely through praying, but it's, it's more impactful when we find out what he's like when we interact with one another. Because you are his creation. You are a reflection of who he is. Ultimately, that's what you ought to be. And so we find out what he's like through each other. Otherwise, there's no need for us to, to be with one another. If you're not reflecting him, and I'm not reflecting him, what's the point? Right? So we, we, have a, we have a view of God that is, like I was saying, the angled murder last week, was you reflect him to me, and I reflect him to you. And, and, and that's, how, that's how the cycle goes. Right? And he's there. That doesn't mean he doesn't exist. It means that he's, cho he's chosen to reveal himself through us. And he's chosen us as his conduit. Right? So, and then in verse 3 it says, but. So what's to follow is not an imitation of God. Right? Everything that went before it is... Whatever's coming now is, is just, it's not. That's not how, what God looks like. That's not how he behaves. Um, and that's not how he acts. So, but sexual immorality and all impurity and, or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no foolish, uh, let, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So, 
I think you, you, we all, I think no one, has, no one in this room needs to be told that sin is bad. <laughs> so I think he's, he's just contrasting. He's letting us know that certain behavior is okay and others are not. Um, because it doesn't accurately reflect the Father. And I think that's the vocation of man, isn't it? To reflect God into the world. And so when we fail to do that, it's like a no-no. Please don't do that because it's a poor representation of the one who created you. So then he says, uh, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. So that verse there is just basically, don't let anyone um, fool you into thinking that what you do in your body is, is of no value. Can I read verse 3 from the message? Sure. Um, verse 3 says, don't allow love to turn into lust, setting off a downhill slide into, and it names all the, the things that you've uncovered. And I'll just, carrying on the analogies, like if you're looking and observing, as a child does to the father, and you're learning how to behave, if you, it says, do not let your love turn to lust, it says, do not turn away. You know, it's like an, a child grows up and thinks their way of knowing things is better than their parents, like teenagers is the classic one, right? So I, I said, yeah, don't look away from the father and getting distracted and think you know better, because that's what Adam and Eve did. Like someone said, yeah. Yeah, I also think that, that he uses two interesting uh, concepts there. He uses sex and he uses what comes out of our mouth, which is probably the, the hardest things to tame the stuff that leaves our mouths and our desires. And so he is, is, I think he's using the, the, the worst examples <laughs> and, and he's assuming that, that you, would, you would then attach everything else that is bad with that. There's no need for me to list all of it. It's just I'll, I'll use the most, especially in his world. In his world, sex was, was, was a currency. Well, that's toys today. Yeah, it's still a currency today, you know. But uh, that and and the way in which we use our words towards one another. The biggest um, and the, the people the, think. The yeah, smallest. the biggest and what what we would consider the smallest, like and everything mean, in between. The world doesn't think anything to to use vulgar languages. Yeah. Okay. And the movies, movies even PG thirteen, but the, the language is horrendous. I just yeah. love the way he says in the message that kind of talk doesn't fit our style. Thanksgiving is our dialect. Yeah. Yeah, that's, 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 that's basically, I think there was another verse in there that we were reading from the message, and I, um, I was walking past, Stephen, Stephen likes to listen to it. I was walking past my desk, and he was listening to it, and I said, that's cool, because it says, find every excuse to give thanks. Mm. That's like, wow, okay, changing our perception here. Yeah. Like, we need to look for excuses to give thanks to God. Like, imagine we were on a search, what else can I say thank you for? You know, that, that would change our perspective completely on, on the way we talk to one another and, and the way we talk to him. And so, yeah, so he, he basically ends at verse 5, these, verse 6, sorry, he says, uh, let, um, let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things, the children of, uh, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience and is don't be fooled. Don't let anyone uh, whitewash this for you. Don't let anyone say that, Ah, you know, that's not really important. The only thing that's really important is, have you said the prayer? Do you have your ticket? You know, that's, that seems to be our, our 
in our, the modern day church, it's, it's how much seats, how much souls, souls, whatever that means, uh, can you win, right? And, and that basically means how much people did you convince to pray your prayer. Yeah. And again in the message, the verse 5 says, you can be sure that using people, religion, or things, just for what you can get out of them, the usual variations on idolatry will get you nowhere. And certainly nowhere near the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God. So like Suvan said in verse 6, it says, don't get caught up with religious smooth talk, it says. Yeah. God, God, God is furious with people who are full of religious sales talk, but, nothing, but want nothing to do with him. So then his context, the Pharisees come to mind. But today we, we live a pharisaical life too. Yeah. I think we're very quick to judge the Pharisees, but we, <laughs> we live exactly the same way. Yeah. We think coming to church on a Sunday, even Bible study and, you know, even doing these tasks emptily, but not spending time with the Father, but doing the activity void of the relationship is futile. Yeah. And this is what Paul's saying. He says, get in relationship. Have a father-child, you know, spend time with, with it. Yeah. And then verse 7 says, therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now are light in the Lord. And that's, that's going back to chapter 2 again, you know, the, the, you, were, you, were, you were lost in darkness and sin and brokenness. And you're no longer that. I think in, in Colossians he says we, we've been transformed or translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, which is the kingdom of light. Yeah. Um, when he talk, again, remember that, that idea of being in. In is about presence of the Lord and fulfilling action. Yeah. Right? If, 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 it, if, it, if sexual impurity and, and lying and, and crude jokes, and if that means being in darkness, then being in the light is not passive. Yeah. Right? Because if, to be in darkness is to be active, then you must be active in the light. And I think we, me too, I've, I've come into, I sadly came into a church world that, that praised me for memorizing verses, but, but didn't give me the, 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 the confidence to go fulfill those verses. You know, if you knew that Jesus had healed the sick, you were amazing. When you healed the sick, you were possessed. <laughs> Talking about your, talking about your previous <laughs> my previous church. Yeah, yes, not here. That doesn't happen here. That never Some, happened here. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but uh, it's subtle. It's something that that's how subtle it was. It was um, knowing about what it meant to speak in tongues and actually speaking in tongues were two different things, right? Whereas here you should be encouraged to fulfill what he said in the scriptures. That's more important than knowing it. Right? So if you don't know it and are fulfilling it, you are far ahead of someone who knows it and does not do anything with what he knows. So it says here, walk as children, again, that's the active part. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfaithful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that are done in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for the things that become visible is light. And I, they are, I've, forgive me, I'm, I'm, I love theology and I, I have friends who are, are very much theologians and they think, they think context and text and all these things and they, they read a verse like that and, and the only thing they want to do is expose false doctrine. You know, and I don't read it like that. I, I also think of, of 
That's not a charge for us to go and um, find the things in the darkness to expose it. Mm. You know, I think there are two there are two ways in which we expose what's in the dark. The first way is by just being light. We do what we know we ought to do, and in doing that, it really makes everyone else uncomfortable. Which he highlights later. Uh, yeah. And then there's, there's another way it was like common and what Jared do. That is exposing darkness for what it is. When you stand in court and you say that's wrong, that should not be done, that is a form of justice that not everyone does it like that. Right? You, you, you oppose darkness for the forceful manner. But not everyone does it like that. Most of us stand and say we are the light. And where we come, darkness is exposed. Whatever's happening in the dark is exposed. And then there, and then there are others who, who, who've kind of go into unknown territory at times and defend those who are being hurt and abused, and and so they exposed like that. But I don't think that we should we should run around trying to find <laughs> everything that that's happening in the dark. Um, yeah. So, for some people it works, for other people, not so much. Then it says this. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully when you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to another of the, out of the reverence of Christ. I, I read that whole thing because I didn't want to break it up because I think he's saying one thing there. Um, the, the, the quote there is from Isaiah and it's actually two quotes, but it, the idea there of waking up is again it's a it's a it's a flashback to 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 Ephesians two, where you were dead, right? Now, the way <laughs> I was talking to Stephen about this today, I think we read that and then we say, okay, what do I need to do? I need to pray and say, God, wake me up. No, it, he says you must wake up. You you need to, in other words, stop being inactive. Like those who are asleep don't do much, <laughs> right? They're sleeping. So he's saying, wake up. And the idea, and then he says, rise from the dead. That is, a, a, I believe, it's a, it's a, it's a real a reflection of what he's saying in, in Ephesians 2 when he talks about us walking as ones who were dead. And I know a theologian that says that, that zombies come from the Bible. <laughs> the living, the walking dead. We, we walk around, but we are, we are just we are not alive at all. Those who are not alive to Christ are zombies. Yeah, yeah they are zombies, right? So, <laughs> so again, the, it's, a, it's about, it's about intentionality. You must be intentional when you do good. I think um, we've lost our, our, our desire for intentional goodwill at times. We, we, we want to fall into goodwill. You know, we, we want goodwill to come to us. Yeah, we want goodwill to come to us. We want to be led by the Spirit, right? Rather than saying, it is my duty 
I'm awake, I am intentional about what I'm doing. Right? That's why he goes on and he says, look carefully how you walk after that quote. Right? That's the point there. The point is, guys, you're stumbling around in the dark. You're running into one another, you're frustrated with one another. You know why? Because you're not putting on the light. You're not, being, you're not focusing yourself on your relationships. You're not focusing yourself on what you, what you know you ought to be doing. You're kind of going through life without any enthusiasm, without intention. Right? We, we want great church. We want great relationships. I know this. I want great relationships, but I fall into the trap of thinking it's just going to happen. Right? And when, when we fall into that trap, we know that when we just leave things to happen, it grows into chaos. Nothing ever grows into order without my help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just like God put Adam in the garden, he's like, guy, I need you here because if, if this thing just grows, it's going to grow into chaos. It's going to grow into a bunch of, of a mess, a big mess. And so I want you to focus, put your energy into this. And so I think he's saying the same thing here. He's saying, guys, don't hope, just hope that things will get better. Wake up. And you wake up by saying, you know what? I need to do something. I need to be careful. I need to be watchful about the way I speak, the way I act, the way I treat the people around me. Right? And then he goes on to this. this Before you do that. So, like, I just want you to read in your own Bibles, whatever translation. It says, if you read that quote from which, like, Siobhan alluded to, it's, it's a combination of quotes from Isaiah, if you want the reference, Isaiah 26, 19, and 61. 60, verse 1 and 2. But I just want you to read this. It says, wake up from your sleep. Climb out out of your coffins. Let's stop there. Just read it. Like, it's not, I think so many of us, like, for me, I was like, wow moment. I read this on Sunday when Dad was talking through his message. I'm like, sounds familiar. And of course, it's not from, it's from the Word, but we're doing Ephesians 5 today, right? We're reading Awake from Our Slumber when Dad, on Sunday, preached about a, a message about awakening and shine your light. And Dad didn't even use Ephesians 5. Do you guys think that's coincidence? Isn't that amazing? How God's Word is speaking the same thing to this very family, but to the whole church. But I, I, Siobhan and I discussed it, and we both agree, is that if you read this, it says, wake up from your sleep, Climb out of your coffins, and then, let's put the end then, Christ will show you the light. There requires a response from us. And, and this, is on, this is on our hearts, is that I think as Christians we forget how much intentional we need to be. When, when we study books like James, we need to be doing the good works. I think we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater with works. Yeah. We said works is a dirty word. You know, works is me trying to attain righteousness. I, you know, I don't need to do anything to be righteous in Christ. No, you don't. But you need to be doing good works because you are righteous. Mm-hmm. There needs to be evident of light to shine. Yeah. If there's no evidence of light, then you're not shining. Yeah. And it's like Siobhan said, you know, darkness, and when you're going to read later, it needs to have an effect. Light needs to have an effect, otherwise you're not shining. Yeah. And we are challenged and we are encouraged because it's intentional. And I think we, we quickly read over it. From yeah. the Amplified Classic, it says, in verse 8, For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Like Siobhan says, walk as children of light. We need to become children of light. And it's a capital L. I just saw that now. 
you know, I think we, we <laughs> it's nice sayings. I think that's, that's the, 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 the empty words again coming up. It's, we have these nice sayings, you know, I'm highly favored, I'm more than a conqueror. What are you conquering? <laughs> you know? You like, need to conquer like Christ conquered. Yeah, so yeah. like, we have this like walk in the light, like we are children of the light. And, but what does that mean? Because it seems so far-fetched from the reality of our day-to-day lives. I'm, 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 I'm building up a, 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 a frustration with my own walk with God because I'm reading these things and I'm, I'm saying to myself, God, have I been just like sitting here quoting these things, having a, a, a Holy Ghost party <laughs> without his power? <laughs> like what's, what's happening? What's happening in my heart and in my life that is causing me to be content with knowing the verse without knowing the reality. Yeah. Something's wrong in my heart if that's the, if that's the state of my heart. Right? And I think Paul is like super hyperbolic. Wake up from your sleep and then he's talking about me being in a grave. Like it's not far in his mind it seems from being asleep and being dead. You're just as good, you as useless asleep as you are dead. That's, that's basically what he's saying. You're alive, but you're sleeping. So you're, not, you're, in, you're no good to anyone. And I think that's his, his, his idea. There's sometimes we, we forget how, how hyperbolic and how, how, how masterful they were with their language. You know, they, they knew exactly what they were saying to, to jolt the reader, to say, okay, what do you mean I'm dead? I'm not dead. <laughs> I'm alive. You know, I'm awake. So I think we... we we miss it at times when we, I, in my own mind, I, I think often about how I know the scriptures. I know it. If you were to ask me it, I can quote it. I can quote it in different translations. I can tell you some of the Greek words. I can, <laughs> you know, I can tell you what, what, what people said about it 700 years ago. You know, so I'm, 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 a, I'm a good scholar of the word. Uh, but I don't think anywhere that that's enough for scripture. Like, for us to fulfill it is the point. And so, like I said, I think sometimes there are so many people that I'm, my mind is blown by the lack of a scriptural knowledge, but the power in which they live. For some reason, they've, they've tapped into a, a reality of the, the, the light of God and they walk in it without thinking too much about it because they've given themselves to this. Just like a child imitates their father. They, yeah. they might not know the, yeah. the whole way of, of, of imitating something. You see, that's the whole point of a child imitating their parent is they don't need to, they, there's a trust there. I, I can do that because my dad does it. Mm. And like Jesus said, I, can only, I do only what my, I see my father do. Yeah. I think it's powerful. It's let, also, me, let me read a quote from Spurgeon then. Go for it. Oh. I, so when I was sitting there on Sunday, and wow, and then I found this quote. This is from Spurgeon. The man who is asleep does not care what becomes of his neighbors. How can he while he is asleep? And oh, some of you Christians do not care whether souls are saved or damned. It's enough for them if they are comfortable. If they can attend a respectable place of worship and go with others to heaven, they are indifferent about everything else. And I was like, wow, ouch. <laughs> I was like, ouch. I was asking myself the question while Dad was talking because I heard that message a few times in different variations. I was like, what is the evidence of us being asleep or being awake? And I think this is what we're talking about. 
The evidence of being asleep is darkness. It's yeah. about apathy. It's about, I'm okay with my life and my family and my friends. Yeah. But being awake, and like I said to Siobhan today, is, it's not, a, it's not a, it's, it's, we say it's states, but I mean, a lot of us can say we're awake, but we're not at the awake way that Paul's describing. We, we, I said to him, we're like half groggy in the morning wanting a cup of coffee, <laughs> right? We're not, we're not there, what he's talking about. And I, that's our challenge, and that's, that's our passion, is that where we are so awake, where our light is burning so bright, that people are drawn to it, and their, their lives are contrasted by it and that even we can witness without even talking. I think yeah. this is what the world is crying out for. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's one, of the, one, of the, um, one of the things I've also just come to have a new passion for, a new, uh, I have a new view of works and working and doing good. You know, for so long I've, I've taken Ephesians 2 and said, I'm saved by faith through grace. And that not of myself. <laughs> and then I failed to read verse 10, which said, you created for good works, so start doing it. So our works are, we're there to create, we created for it, but it's not there to save us. So, you want the, the microphone? On the point of good works, I think what makes us different from the world, because um, the world also believes in good works. If I do this, then mm. I great because I'm feeding poor, taking care of the orphans and the widows. But I think what you said is so powerful. The fact that we are saved by grace and we are the light, we are not doing it to for the world to see. We are doing it because we love our Father God. Mm -hmm. We are imitating what Christ yeah. did. And I think the difference is the heart with which you're doing something. Mm -hmm. If you're pouring yourself into doing the works, not so Man can get Yeah. Yeah. Self needs to be removed yeah. from yes. these works. That's the whole key. And, and the other thing I just wanted to say, it's so amazing when you when you read the whole passage, um, and I always love that portion of scripture says, "Are you redeeming the time? Mm. Time is valuable because you give energy to your time. So if I'm not redeeming my time, what am I doing with the lot of time that the Lord has given me? Because it takes energy to do things and each second and sometimes we fall into slumber and I think when I was listening to you, what I've realized is the weight, we are not of the world but we're in the world mm -hmm. and the weight in the case of being in the world can oppress you to mm -hmm. such an extent that the burden is too heavy and you become tired, you fall asleep, 
and then you become dead because your spirit man dies as a pastor was preaching. Mm. Like, I'll be feeding and it's so easy to allow those cares to um, be heavy on your shoulder and basically push you into a state where you are inactive yeah. because you are unnaturally tired or um, asleep. Yeah. And, um, and that is something that yeah. I've been battling with is that you're doing all these things and I'm exhausted at times, you can't even pray, and that I feel is not of God. But the fact that the cares of the world or what you have to deal with every time, and that's when you really have to stir yourself up and you have to get yourself going yeah. and you have to find something to motivate you. Yeah. And um, I think that is where a lot of Christians find themselves. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. What what you're saying there is it's like I'm just thinking about the way I'm speaking now and, and the way you're speaking about it. And sometimes I think we forget about our conversation in Ephesians. Is it was it three? We we spoke about him being in and through and in all. And I think sometimes we we have this idea of either God's working or I'm working. Whereas when that when that like like Paul in First Corinthians 15, I labored more than they all. But not I. The Lord labored through me. I, this, it's not either or. It's both and. I labor and he labors in me. Right? That's, that's the beauty of the way in which we, we become co-laborers with God. I think that's one of the things God's calling his church back to is the status of co-laborer. Right? Not sole laborer and not no laborer at all. Yeah, the church put him in that position. Yeah, right? And Just like the Old Testament, yeah. the church has been happy. No, Moses, we don't want to talk to God. You talk to God you and tell, him, tell, us, you tell, tell us what we want to do. In other words, we want to do it separate from him. We, 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 we are happy that the men of God hear from the Lord and tell us what we need to do. Yeah. Where we need to be there amongst yeah. and in that relationship. And that's, and that's, a, that's, a, it's, it's, that's how God's chosen to work through us. He's chosen that, that we would... We would desire things, right? And he would use that desire, and in using that desire, he would give us desires. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't, but that's the, that's the way he's, he's set it up, that we would work through him and he through us. Right? And, and that's, when you, that's when you run and you don't faint. That's, that's when, you, when you walk and don't get tired. That's the, that's the idea there of we do this with God somehow. I'm not sure how. Right? That's the, the Galatians 2 passage that I always get stuck on. I'm, I'm, I'm dead with Christ, but I love, but not I don't love, but Jesus lives in me. Like, Paul, make up your mind. What do you want to say? <laughs> and I think Paul's confused too. <laughs> He's saying, I don't get it either, but I know that this is the way he set it up. And it doesn't make sense to the human mind. But this is the way God has made his world, that it would merge with him. Right? He's given us His Spirit. His Spirit is not separate from Him. It's distinct, but not separate. So, if His Spirit is working within us, and we are working at the same time, that means Him and I are doing something together, and I need to give Him the credit for that, because most times, I don't want to do it. <laughs> right? But He gives me the passion, the desire, the want. And I feel like it comes from me at times, and sometimes it doesn't come from me, but when we work like that, when we are conscious of the fact that when we do good, God's doing good through us, right? Then, like you were saying, I'm not working for identity, I'm working from identity. 
Right? So that's, that's the difference there. I'm not working so that I can get a big name or, some, or something on my, on my resume. I'm working because I know that God lives within me and this is how I imitate him. Right? So then he goes on and he, he says this, do not get drunk with wine for it is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Right? Now, now I'm going to say this and I'm going to move along. That doesn't say don't drink wine. It just says don't get drunk with it. Now, moving on. So, <laughs> so <laughs> but before the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to another out of the reverence of Christ. Right? So he says, don't be drunk with wine. What does that mean? It means to lose your, your ability of self-control. The, the, your, your, just, your inhibitions are gone. Right? And then he says, be filled with the Spirit. And, and the Greek next to me would say, be filled and keep being filled. Yeah. Be being. Be, be, be being filled, you see? I need help there. <laughs> so, so, and, and then he, he kind of gives you an example of what this looks like. It affects our language. Right? We need to see. And to one another. That's what's fascinating about the ESV. When I read it in the King James, it just says, sing, make melody in your heart. It doesn't say towards one another. And the message says, sing praises of everything, your favorite part. Any excuse for a, yeah. for a song to God the Father in the name of our yeah. Master Jesus Christ. That's, that, is, that is just, that blessed my heart because it's like, that's the state I want to live in. And I, I, like I was telling you guys, I, I'm, I'm not a pessimist. I'm not a, I don't like to see the world. In, in I'm sure you're South African. I'm very much South African. <laughs> How do you think I still love you? South Africans, <laughs> are, the South Africans are the opposite when I was reading that. Any excuse but to moan and complain. No, I, I don't, you know I don't moan and I don't complain. I'm not saying you do. I'm and also, but I've, I found out, I'm also not an optimist. So let's not, let's not. So you're a realist? No, I'm not a, <laughs> not a realist. You want the box you can, you can say it's a realist. But I, I think more than anything, I'm filled with a lot of hope. Right? No, I think optimism is as secular as, as pessimism because it's based on facts. Hope says in spite of the facts. Mm. I believe God's going to do something. Yeah. Right, so I'm neither optimist nor, nor pessimist, but I, I don't, I don't want to live my life in fear of the next person harming me or the next person doing something that could hurt me. I want to live my life thinking, man, he put us here. This is awesome. Can't we just love one another and get along? That's, that's my heart. I, I don't want to see any division. Anything. I'll tell you a story. So in our, in our, in our little road, we have it, there's a bit of neighbor wars going on. Right? This one parks in front of my house, and this one does that, and this one does that. So the other day, I parked my car outside in the road, and then there's a whole big commotion went on, and I was asleep. <laughs> I slept asleep. Can't affect anything when you're asleep. So I was asleep, and my aunt comes and she knocks and goes, like, Siobhan, big commotion going on outside. You need to move your car. I say, but that's not my, then that's not the spot they're arguing about. <laughs> right? No, you need to move your car. So I said, okay, fine. So I walk outside. Evening, everyone. 
Hey, what you doing? And I'm, I'm gonna move the car. I'm moving my car. I just wanna be the peaceful neighbor. Hope you guys have a good evening. You know, and before you know it, everyone's laughing. Everyone's smiling. They're like, no, we're peaceful. We are peaceful. Oh, no. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'm laughing because I'm thinking, ah, people. People, I'm not thinking, this neighborhood, oh my word, they need to get, they need to fix themselves. Nothing like that. I'm thinking, well, okay, <laughs> here we go. You know, I'm not living my life thinking, oh my word, the next thing. Oh my word, this is going to happen again. Oh, it's, that's too much pressure for me. I'm a happy go lucky. We, don't we know, don't we, think too much about it because my heart, my heart can't hold that much. Negativity. Well, just, none of our hearts should be able to. Well, some people do a very good job of it. <laughs> <laughs> Mine can't, and it's it's that's not a that's not a that's not a bad thing if you do. It's not a good thing if you don't. It's it's just personally my heart can't because I'm I'm I look at the world and I think, man, such an awesome place to be. Like think about it. We live in in, in the best generation of all time. Like, the best time to be living is right now. So I don't want to waste my energy on what could have been and should have been. And no. So I got up, and I was about to move my car. And before you know it, the neighbor that, that, was, that was really causing a lot of the commotions was like, Siobhan, it's fine. I'm going to move my car in, and then you can park where I was parking, because no one's really obstructed over there. I'm like, are you sure? He says, I'm sure. I'm saying, you don't have to if you don't want to. So I get in my car, and before I know it, he pulls his car in, and he starts guiding me <laughs> so that I can come and park. And it's, imagine I went out and was like, guys, why? Every night, every time this happens, this is a, I'd have just added fuel to the fire. And all I was trying to do was put on a smile and say, people, let's love each other. It's not that difficult. Don't you think that's got a lot to do with verse 11, going back to verse 11, where it says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful words of darkness, but rather expose them. Because yeah. the light that you carry within you, yeah. you yeah. chose to, to shine the light. Yeah. 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 yeah, I also think that there's a, there's a... In the beginning, it was difficult. In the beginning, it was really difficult because I... I you, you grow up and you and you, your parents and everyone feeds you this, this idea of who you are and, and why you should be a certain way. And, you know? and then you get born again and you realize you're new. I'm like, okay. But then you still have the old habits. And so habitually, I've trained myself not to, I forget the bad stuff very quickly. So when people bring the bad stuff up, I'm like, oh, I don't remember this. Right? So it's, a, it's just something that I habitually have, have come to a place of this is not good for me, and it's not good for you, because if, if I hold on to this, then I'm just going to have a bad perception of who you are and who I am, and it's not going to be good for either one of us. And so you're right. The, the shining that light in that, in that moment is just, it's, it's not a lot of spiritual work. It's just greeting everyone with, with, with a different attitude than what they have at that time and saying, guys, Hopefully, hopefully you have a good evening. And everyone went away cheerful that night. That was the first time that has ever happened, praise the Lord. But <laughs> I, I, think, 
I think so often we, we, we expect this light and this idea of light to be the supernatural raising the dead, um, casting out demons and, you know, clear of abolishing world hunger. <laughs> Those types of things where it's, it's on our doorstep with simple, small things. And I think you will, you will notice Ephesians 5, is very, he's talking about a community, a communal thing. But in Ephesians 5, he's zooming in. He's zooming in. He's going to, take, he's going to talk about the household. He, he's, he's, he's on the community level, this is what I want you to add. Now, on a household perspective, this is what I want you to do. Um, and Stephen's going to dive into that. Yeah, so like Siobhan says, he zooms into the detail of life. And... Um, Remember, he starts with the first relationship he starts with Ephesians 5 is God the Father with us in intimacy. But then he zooms in to the very most, the second most important relationship, and that's the foundation of community, the foundation of home, and that's between husband and wife. And he starts here intentionally, and he works his way out from there. So let's read from verse 22. Ladies, don't worry. A lot of men don't finish reading Ephesians 5. <laughs> I will finish reading it. We will make it our duty to finish reading it. <laughs> and don't, uh, it's recorded. Do not use it against me, please. <laughs> please do. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that you, sh- you show support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife. This is the key. The way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by getting, sorry, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they are already one in marriage. So tonight I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to speak to the women primarily because I'm not one and I don't believe, I'm going to speak to the men because I believe if men really truly become the men that they need to be, that Ephesians 5 say, it makes it a whole lot easier for a woman to be the wife Ephesians 5 talks about. Amen. Right? So, again, we like context. Remember in biblical times, do you know women were treated, wives especially, were treated as property? When you married someone, like in some cultures still today, you are someone's property. In, in biblical times, in Roman times, in those times, when a husband chose a wife, or, or however that relationship came to be, the wife was the property of the husband. He could do what he wanted with her, even kill her, and it wouldn't be illegal. I'm not speaking blasphemy, that is how it was. She was like a slave. Do you guys realize that? So do you think when a woman read that in those days, wife, submit to your husband, she's like, really, dude? <laughs> like, do, Nothing I have a, do I have a choice here? So it wasn't revolutionary for Paul to say, wife, submit to your husbands. But he didn't stop there. And it was sure was revolutionary when he said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And when Jesus walked the earth, we, we discussed it in a Bible study, the way Jesus treated women was revolutionary. You can give them a number of scenes. Let's quickly go through them. For example, um, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet while Martha was actually doing what women were expected to do in, the, in those days. Siobhan says, 
the fact that Mary was sitting at his feet means she was being taught by a rabbi, and not just being taught by a rabbi, but willing to become one herself. That yeah. was a position of, of privilege. Yeah. And women weren't supposed to be there. Yeah. She invited them. And then Jesus goes on and says, Martha, Martha, Mary shows him the good thing. She's like, where did this guy come from? Does he not know, does he not know what the right place of a woman must be? Yeah. That's how revolutionary it was. Yeah. Then we go forward to the woman at the well. Not only was she a woman, she was a Samaritan woman. Samaritans were lower than the Jews. They didn't want to do anything with They didn't want to be seen, and they weren't even allowed to talk to one another. And she was married four times before. Yeah, Jesus got there. <laughs> even before all that, which he knew. The fact that he spoke to her and then asked of something from her, and that's why her, her response was like so shocked. Jesus treated women completely different to the culture of the time. So when they say love, or husbands treat your wives like Christ loved the church, you know, as a man, you've got to look how Jesus treated a woman and realize how far off we are, right? He can, Paul cannot be more clear, and I think, I don't understand how men, or mostly men, misinterpret this or misappropriate this leadership style. Jesus' leadership style is clear, and Paul is saying to follow, it's servant leadership. Jesus said, he washed their feet. He washed the disciples' feet, the dirty, yucky feet, probably more disgusting than we ever realize. He washes their feet, even Judas' feet, but we forget. And then he says, now do this. Love one another as I have just demonstrated what love really looks like. Getting in the muck, getting in the dirt, in the mess of someone, knowing that they're not perfect, knowing that they will mess up and they're going to tramp all over you and still love them anyway. Knowing that they will stab you in the back. Mm. And he says, husbands, love like that. That's servant leadership. And it's not just that. It says, it says husbands, how much must you, must you give for your wife? It's everything. He says, love extravagantly. Guys... There's a pity there's not more married men here, but the men have the harder job. I always say that, you know, but it's true. We have to die for our wives daily. I'm laughing because it's fascinating because Paul didn't have a wife. <laughs> but maybe that's why he could talk on the matter. It's like it's easy to say you guys need to deal with this. But you laugh, but maybe that's why he didn't. He knew what it would, it would take away from his relationship with, with, the, with the father. No, I'm not oh, It wouldn't take away from his relationship with the father. No. <laughs> it would take time away. He wouldn't be as invested. No, I'm just, I thought yeah. that was funny. Just <laughs> See, true leadership is about caring. There's a Simon Sinek quote that I, I sent you the other day when you asked me questions on leadership. True leadership is about caring for the people in your charge, not about being in charge. Yeah. Simon Sinek says that. See, leadership is about serving those in your care. It's about sacrificing yourself for others. That's what Jesus demonstrated. The leadership style Jesus demonstrated is sacrificial servant leadership. So let's read verse 29 to 33 now. No one abuses his own body, does he? No. He feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church. Since we are part of his body, and this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. So going back to what Siobhan was saying, is it me doing the works or is it Christ doing the works? Well, if we are his bride and he's the bridegroom, we are going to be and we should be one flesh. Right? This is a huge mystery. And Paul's very humble to, to admit when he doesn't understand things. He says, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is that the way, treat, the way Christ treats the church 
And this provides a good picture on, of how each husband to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Let me ask, ladies, how easy would it be to submit to men like this? If men started it, it wouldn't be too hard. But let me, what do we do with, what do you do with men like us until we get there? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Pray. I mean, we almost live in a complete antithesis of this age that Paul's talking, where, where us men are being demasculated, right? And because of some bad exceptions, where men are not living like Paul should, is describing how men should live. But you see, it's, 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 a, it's ex, extremes of, both extremes are just as dangerous. The feminists would not like Paul describing women here as, for example, everything he does and says is designed to bring her best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. They want the armor. They want the armor. They want to Joan of Arc everything. But you see, it's not so much about. I like what you said. It's not about the. It's not about who's on top, who's the head. Christ just, he demonstrated in his words and in his actions, it's about serving one another and loving one another and laying one's life down for one another. And this is why I say the application is real. Because it's in the everyday small decisions that that becomes alive and challenging. It's not the big ones. It's, it's about, like, when we get to children, when we get to slave and master, it's the small decisions. How are you with your time? How selfish are you with your time? Are you spending quality time? You know, for example, the children one, you might not want to be doing that with them at that point in time, but it's so much valuable for them. 
It's about laying your will down, laying what you think is important down and, and lifting that person's opinion up. And for me, I, I really enjoy Ephesians 5 definition of marriage and that for me is the blueprint of how I want to be in marriage. And it's not going to be easy. So nothing is easy. Nothing is easily attainable. It's hard. It's hard work. I tell people, you know, people that want to get married in life, it's, I think you don't realize, it's, it's not so much about, Nicole and I are so compatible and we, we find it easy to be with another. We're a good team. But we know how we can be when we're selfish and we know how we can be when we're not selfish. And that's the hard work. It's not on, on the opposite party. It's on your own self that you see. The mirror is standing right up in front of you and saying, wow, you're being really selfish right now. And you have two responses. Well, good, I should be. Or, ooh. And that's the hard part. It's the hard part is how it reflects your nature. And that's what unifies all of us. And that's why I believe Paul can talk on this topic. is because he knows what is needed from the nature perspective. He had spiritual children. He knew how to give of himself. He died for them. He was in prison for them. And he still loved and lavished over them and prayed for them. This is a man that laid his life down. So he has the authority to say things. The people that weren't even flesh and blood. So I believe it is a challenge. And I think this is what the world needs to see. They need to see men and women demonstrated here. And I think not the way the Bible, the people would snapshot and be prejudiced. But if people start seeing wow, he really loves his, his wife. Wow, she really loves her husband. And they actually live life, life like this. People, I think, wouldn't be disillusioned with marriage today. Anyway, does anybody have any questions and comments? Not just on the husband and wife marriage part, but of chapter five. All right, shall we close and pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this time together, Lord Jesus. We ask that, Lord, that this message is encouraging, Lord. And, and Lord, we just pray, Lord, that we can be like you described, like Paul described us to be, Lord Jesus, as children observing you, Lord, and spending time with you and learning the right behavior, Lord, being intentional in our relationships and our interactions with every single person that comes into our path, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, we will start with those closest to us, Lord. And, and love like Jesus Christ demonstrated to us, Lord. So we thank you. We pray for this evening, Lord, and pray for the rest of the week. And we pray, Lord, that, that you're always with us. And we just thank you for that. In your son's name. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.